Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us this week. We are going to be forging into a topic we've talked about before on this show, and that is the Earth's population. We're joined today by Lisa Hymas. She's one of the senior editors and co-founders of a website that I'll bet a lot of you read, and that's grist.org. If you haven't heard of it by any chance, we're going to be asking her all about it, and we'll be talking to her about a movement that she is following, that she has started in some respects, and has been blogging about extensively over the last few months, and that is this notion of of choosing to be child-free as an expression of environmental concern. And we're going to be talking to her more about that and about the looming number that a lot of us have heard about, and that is 7 billion inhabitants on planet Earth. It's expected to happen later this year. That's our reality. That's the world we live in. So we're going to be talking with Lisa more about her views and some of the stories she's been covering. But first of all, let me just say welcome, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thanks, Jill. I'm excited to be here. Well, awesome. You know, I'll bet that a lot of our listeners are familiar with Grist, but just in case they're not, tell us about Grist.org, just so that, you know, they'll be uh, anxious to check it out if they haven't already. Sure. Um, Grist.org is an environmental website with news and opinion about green issues and green living tips. And um, environmental issues can sometimes seem depressing or daunting, so we try to infuse them with some humor. Our tagline is gloom and doom with a sense of humor. <laughs> well, tell us about some of the stories that you guys have been following. I mean, there's just so much out there. Um, what are just some of the topics that our, our listeners might expect to see if they hit grist.org later today? Sure. Um, let's see. Well, today we've been covering the trial of a climate activist named Tim DeChristopher in Utah a couple of years ago at the end of the Bush administration. He um, made a bid for an oil and gas lease um, on public land, just sort of trying to disrupt the lease and, uh, you know, make a point that maybe we shouldn't be selling off our public lands for oil, oil drilling. And um, he was ruled guilty yesterday and might be going to jail for that sort of for that you know protest so that's uh-huh. one of the things and we often cover the politics of climate and energy we also write a lot about food um you know there's a, there's a, a lot of interest these days in eating organic eating local eating more healthy um and so we write a lot about that and about how people can live green in cities you know you don't need to move out to a farm and move off the grid to lead a green life a lot of us are living in um heavily populated areas and there are a lot of good ways to do that we also get some fun stuff in there we have a green dating column to give you hints about how to find people who might share your values if you're mm-hmm. looking for a date that's awesome. It's a lot of fun. At Grist.org is, is uh, sassy in all the best ways. I love to read your articles, and uh, not just yours, but the other bloggers and, and editors as well. Oh, thank now, you. That's great to hear. <laughs> you have started something, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this improperly, Gink. 
G-I-N-K. Um, you coined the term Green Inclinations No Kids. Tell us more about Gink. How did sure. it start and, and what is it? Well, you know, a lot of us these days are taking steps to green our lives. And for some of us, if we don't want to be parents or aren't sure if we want to be parents, you know, one easy way to make a green difference is to decide not to have children or maybe to decide to have fewer kids. Um, this definitely isn't the right decision for everyone, but one of the things I want to do is there's still a lot of social pressure on people in our society, and women in particular, but also men, um, to have kids. And for some people, that's great. But for some of us, it's not what we want. And I want people to not feel pressured into that. So I want to create a little more space for, for it to be okay to say, you know, I don't feel like that's the right path for me. And I came up with the acronym GINK, uh, as you said, Green Inclinations, No Kids, to describe myself. And um, a number of other people have kind of picked up on that in the last few months and, and felt like that described them too. And it's also just a way to get us talking about population. I don't think we as a society talk about it as much as we ought to, and this is sort of a way to get people thinking about it perhaps in a, mm-hmm. in a different light. Well, I, I really respect the whole um, concept of making an intelligent and very personal choice about parenthood. It's definitely not something that should be entered into lightly. And I agree with you. There shouldn't be pressure. Um, you know, if it's, if it's not the right fit or not the right time for a person or a couple, um, I agree with you that that, that should be left to, to their decision and not uh, something they should feel pressured into. Now, let me ask you about your target audience for Gink. Are you primarily aiming, you know, the, the conversation to a U.S. market or a global market? Kind of when you envision your target audience for the articles that you write, who are you thinking of? I'm definitely thinking of mostly Americans, but maybe also just other people who live in, you know, well-off developed countries. Uh, you know, I think people in developing countries or poor countries around the world are sort of facing a whole different set of issues, and this probably isn't a, a movement that would have a lot of resonance for them. So I'm, I'm thinking of it, you know, largely for Americans, Canadians, Europeans. And, and tell us why that is. Kind of describe for us, um, you know, how you chose that target audience. Sure. Well, you know, I think the, the issues around reproduction are different in different parts of the world. So, you know, for instance, in in far too many parts of the world, a lot of women still don't even have access to contraception. So, So this movement would be, you know, not only just bizarre to them, but totally unattainable and, and not really something they would want. You know, I had, it's estimated that there are about 200 million women around the world right now who don't, who, who would like to be able to control their fertility but don't have access to contraception. So, you know, for them, what we need to be talking about is how do we fill that gap? How do we get them the reproductive health services that they need so they can make their own decisions? And maybe that's having fewer children or spacing their kids out or, you know, whatever it is, they should have the tools to make that choice. So, mm-hmm. so the issues faced in countries like that are much different. I had the opportunity a few months ago to go visit Ethiopia and see some of the progress that, that they've been making 
that their government, mm-hmm. with the help from, with help from the U.S. and the international community, has been trying to get contraception out to all communities, even rural spots in the country. And I've, we visited some rural villages where I met women who had six, seven, eight kids before contraception was even made available to them, and they were so grateful when it came. And now their daughters will have totally different prospects. And when I spoke mm-hmm. to younger women, they were telling me, oh, maybe I want to have two kids or three kids. I'm going to wait until I'm 25 or 30 to start having kids. They're going to have totally different experiences than their mothers just because, mm-hmm. you know, that contraception has finally become available. And, you know, there's still work to do. It isn't always a reliable supply. But, you know, I, for someone like that, what I'm talking about isn't relevant. They've got a totally different set of issues to deal with. Sure, sure. Now, I'm sure that Grist has a lot of readers who are probably already parents. How do you keep from sort of alienating them? Is it enough to say in your articles, hey, I'm not talking to you guys, you know, I'm talking to people who haven't become parents yet. I mean, is that kind of like starting a sentence with no offense, but, you know, or or do (laughs) you feel like, you know, you're Um, resonating with your readers who are parents too? I to... I try to get across the fact that I don't want to criticize anyone's choices. What I want to do is just open up our choices. And, you know, so I emphasize that I have a lot of respect for parents. It's a hard job, and we need conscientious people trying to do a good job of raising the next generation. And I don't want to talk, I don't want to criticize anyone who already is a parent or talk anybody out of becoming a parent if that's what they know they want to do. Um, And I, I also feel like there. There is a lot of support out there for parents. I mean, I, I know parenting is hard, but I think there are a lot of books and websites about how to be a parent and how to be a, a good parent and how to, you know, get advice from other parents and even how to, uh, you know, even how to be a green parent. I think there are a lot of resources out there. What I felt like is that there weren't many resources out there for people who are choosing not to be parents to feel like they're not alone, to feel like there's some sort of a, a community that, that they can talk to about their own feelings. Um, sure. So that's what I wanted to do. I felt like there was a gap, like there was something that just wasn't being discussed. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of your goals for Gink and for you know the, the articles that you'll be writing and the, the movement um, that, that you're talking about, what are your, your goals? I mean, is there a certain number of fewer pregnancies you want to track, or is this sort of an information-only campaign? How will you measure your success and say, at some point, you know, this is the difference I meant to make, and I know that I made that difference? How do you measure success? Um, Well, I definitely don't have any numerical goals. Um, I guess I would feel like maybe I contributed to some success if in a few years it's more common and accepted for people to say, you know, I, I decided not to have kids and to not get weird looks or not have people say, well, you'll change your mind or you're missing out that you made the wrong decision. I feel like what I want is just to open up some societal acceptance. And, you know, I'm certainly not the only person out talking about this. So, you know, if there is more acceptance, I don't think I'll get to take all the credit for it. But I hope <laughs> well, that talk I'm, about some you know, of the other folks who are doing it because contributing you, to it. Sure. And and you know, you mentioned in several of your blogs, you've got some great videos out there um, that talk about celebrities that are also talking about this issue. Talk to sure. our listeners about that. Yeah, well, probably the most famous and influential child-free celebrity is Oprah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she decided that 
that having kids wasn't the right choice for her. But what I really appreciate about her is that she's giving back to the next generation in other ways. She opened a school in South Africa for girls a few years ago and has been funding their education. And when she opened that up, she said, you know, I never had kids of my own, but I feel like these are my kids. These are my girls. And, you know, I think she's a great role model for us. She made the decision that she felt was right for her, but she's finding a way to to help out the next generation anyway. Um, well, you know, some other Adam. celebrities, Cameron Diaz has talked about how she probably isn't going to have kids and feels like there are enough people on the planet already. Um, Vincent Carthizer, he's an actor on Mad Men, and he's talked about how he's made the, you know, one of the green choices he's making in his life is to not be a parent. And you've got a bunch of other, um, you know, other people who are talking about the decision not to have kids or have decided to not have kids and aren't necessarily linking that to environmental issues. But there are actually a whole bunch of comedians like Jay Leno and Bill Maher, Margaret Cho, Janae Garofalo. So my, my, one of my favorites, actually, is probably, well, is the fictional Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Sex and the City 2 movie, she and her husband... Um, you know, make it known that they've decided not to have kids. And they do get some weird looks and, you know, people who don't know quite what to make of them. And I I appreciated that the movie dealt with that issue. And, you know, it also had, you know, a couple of the women are parents, and it talked about, you know, they had a chance to talk about their experiences and their struggles. So I, I felt like that was a, you know, it was sort of a frivolous movie in a lot of ways, but I appreciated that it opened up the discussion about this issue. Sure. Well, you know what? We have so much more to talk about. We're going to be talking about population. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. We're going to be talking about the environmental impact that children do have in just a few moments, but we've got to take a quick commercial break. So folks, don't go away. There's lots more with Lisa Hymas and lots more Go Green Radio right after this. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Best. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you joined us today. Today, our guest is Lisa Hymas, who's one of the senior editors and co-founders of Grist.org. That's a website just chock full of articles about what's going on in the environmental world, and I mean the world. They cover topics from every corner of the globe, and they do it with a really fun sense of humor, but also with the seriousness that the issues deserve. And so I really appreciate the work that they do. Lisa has been working on a series of articles that discuss an option to um, to be child-free, to not have children bring them into the world, and some of the environmental impact that that choice could have. And I'm really glad that you could join us to talk with us more about this, Lisa. Again, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thanks, Jill. So let's talk about the estimated environmental impact per child. You've covered this in some of your articles. Tell us about that data and what those estimates are based on. Sure. Um, well, one recent study by statisticians at Oregon State University, um, they came to the conclusion that you can save 20 times as much carbon dioxide, that's the main gas-causing greenhouse, uh, you know, causing global warming, um, you can save 20 times as much by having one fewer kid than by adopting a bunch of eco-friendly practices for your whole life, whether that's driving a hybrid or changing out your light bulbs or getting more efficient windows. I mean, those are all good things that we should all be doing, but in pure numerical terms, your reproductive choices are probably going to have a much bigger effect um, than all of those other things. Another way that they put it was that for an average American parent, um, each child that you have increases your lifetime carbon emissions by about 570%. And the reason for that is that your own kids are likely to have kids of their own and so on. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got population growth continuing. Mm-hmm. And now, are these numbers based upon current consumption rates yeah. in the U.S.? Or Okay. Yeah, now, those so, could so change. These numbers are just about the U.S. And they, um, you know, they they looked at the average carbon emissions for a person over their lifetime and different ways that you could influence that, mm-hmm. different ways that you might get those down. I mean, our numbers are very different from those in other countries. I mean, the average American has a carbon footprint that's about 200 times bigger than the average Ethiopian. Um, and that's because we just, we use so many more 
resources, we use so much more energy. Um, we lead a much more consumptive lifestyle. So on, on that, you know, it, that line of thinking could lead you to say that the U.S. is the most overpopulated country in the world because our impact is so great. Currently. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reason to hope that that may change based on technology, legislation, policy. Um, how much faith do you have in American parents to change that portfolio? I mean, um, we have, that's a choice. I mean, that, that lifestyle's a choice. Um, who we vote for is a choice. I mean, what do you think our chances are of, of lowering that impact? Well, I think I think we need to. I think we all need to be working toward it. Um, you know, it's been going up though, <laughs> so I'm. I don't. I think we all need. To, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can make changes as a society in the way that we live, and some of that will be through technology. You know, just more efficient technology, better systems, and some. You know, some of that will just be through maybe trying to be a less consumptive society. I do, and, you know, this is really important. I don't think we just should just be talking about the pure numbers of people. We have to be talking about this consumption side of things, because that's, that's one really important part of the equation. Sure. And I mean, you know, there are some people, and, you know, this is, you can massage data, you and I both know this, any number of ways. There are some people who say, well, gee, if we would have continued building nuclear power plants at the same rate that we were in the 50s, um, we would already be meeting the Kyoto Protocol with carbon-free emissions, you know, and, and electrification of our transportation would be carbon-free. Um, I don't know. What do you say to folks who are like, hey, let's just go nuclear? Um, well, nuclear has its own challenges. I mean, the biggest challenge is just that it's outrageously expensive. I mean, there's a reason that one of the big reasons the U.S. hasn't built nuclear power plants in the past 20 or 30 years is because they're extraordinarily expensive to build. Investors don't want to put up the money because they don't think they're a good bet. Whereas, you know, some of the other technologies, um, you know, big wind farms and solar plants and other things make a lot more economic sense. Well, and you know, it's funny, I've looked into the cost of, of various, you know, forms of, of electricity and energy. Part of what drives the cost of a nuclear power plant up is the litigation. You know, there's just always a lot of lawsuits, you know, from uh, various environmental organizations and Mothers for Peace and things like that um, that, are, that are involved. That's a big part of the cost of, of building a plant and even some of the risk of even you know, moving in that direction. I'm not sure if yeah. Americans are ready for that. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we, you know, there, there's new research on better, safer-seeming nuclear technology. That may be one of the things that we need to look at. I mean, right now, our our climate challenge is so great that I think we need to be looking at everything. You know, we need to be looking at how to be much more efficient, how to get more wind power, more solar power, um, how to do better with natural gas until we can phase out fossil fuels. And, you know, and nuclear might be another thing that we need to be looking at. But, you know, at this point, uh, our situation is dire enough that I think we, you know, I think we need to look at all the options. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And actually, 
One of the things that we've talked about on Go Green Radio a few times is, you know, something that you don't hear a lot about in the news, and that's energy storage. Part of what makes wind and solar such a difficult technology to bring onto our current grid is that because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine, right. sometimes the, the frequency of, of electrons moving from a wind or solar plant through our current transmission lines is just such, it's such, such flux. You know, it just doesn't move as consistently as the electrons from a coal plant or a nuclear plant or, you know, uh, even you know, natural gas plant that, you know, causes disruption in our distribution of electricity. And I think that, you know, that's something that we need to look at too. But I think the bottom line is whether we have children or whether we don't, um, we need to move to alternative forms of electricity. And and I think that that's something that we can all agree on. So in your experience, as you're building this, you know, the gink movement, and there's more and more people who are joining it and sounding off and saying, yeah, that's for me, or yeah, that's something I'll think about. Um, do you get the sense that even if you, you do not choose to have children, that people who are in that group still feel like there's someone important to save the planet for? I know that, you know, a lot of parents say, you know, I really wasn't concerned about environmental protection until I had that cute little face that I, right. you know, cared about to save the planet for. For folks who are opting not to have children, what is the, you know, the impetus for saving the planet? That's a good question. And I certainly have, you know, heard that from parents, you know, from some parents as well, that be- the act of becoming a parent made them care so much more about the environment because, it, you know, it's their own kids who are going to be growing up in it. And I, I very much understand that. I, I guess in my case, I still feel, you know, even without a kid, I feel very driven that this is something that we need to do. And, you know, and it's a, it's caring for the next generation altogether. It's caring for the specific members of it, you know, my nieces and nephew. But it's also, you know, just caring for everybody else I, I see out there. I feel like it's sort of a, a humanistic impulse, um, you know, that if you care about your fellow beings, even if you don't have kids of your own, you're going to want the next generation to, to have a good life, to have a clean environment. And, you know, uh, I think parents have a special view on that, but I think the rest of us have, we should all care. <laughs> we all Beautifully have to, said. to care. Beautifully said. Now, you said that recently you traveled to Ethiopia. Um, the parents there, I mean, in, in some of these countries where, you know, population is, is such a different issue and, and birth control is such a different issue, uh, how are those parents viewing environmental protection? Is that just a luxury item that, you know, they're just trying to survive or do they see a connection between the number of children and the natural resources available to those children as well? You know, the, the people that I spoke with did see a direct relation. And, you know, it's different. I think here in the U.S., maybe the, the big issue that we're thinking about is the impact that we have on climate change, you know, the, the carbon emissions. In Ethiopia or other places like that, that's not the issue. They use so little energy that they're not having a big global environmental impact with their population growth. They're having a big local impact. So that means they're competing for water and struggling to find food. And, you know, I've, I saw places where, you know, one of the big lakes that they had depended on to fish was already receding because of climate change, and that made more people, you know, that made it harder to feed the people of the community. So I think, I think they're definitely seeing, 
you know, that when you have too many people, it's harder to maintain your society. It's harder to give everybody a good quality of life. It's a little bit of a different view of those issues than we have here. You know, when we have a lot of kids, we have a global environmental impact, but we don't really have to worry about feeding them. Right. Although... You know, there are some folks who say that that could even become a problem as we begin to see droughts in various parts of what right. has traditionally been the breadbasket of America. That's another issue. No, folks, true. we've got to take a quick commercial break. I hate to do it because I'm just loving this conversation, but we're going to be back with Lisa in just a moment. So don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us. If you're just joining us and you're thinking, gosh, I wish I would have caught the show at the beginning, don't worry because you can hear a replay of this interview next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon on the East Coast on the Green Living channel of Voice America. If you go to voiceamerica.com, click on the Green Living 
button there, you'll see that you can get to Go Green Radio that way as well. So if you missed part of the show or if you want to share the show with your friends, we'll be replaying again next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, so check us out there. We are joined by Lisa Hymas, Senior Editor and Co-Founder of Grist.org. She has been instrumental in advancing a conversation that is very well worth our time and our consideration, and that is the choice to be child-free, and the environmental impact that choice could have. Lisa, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Jill. Now, you recently won an award from the Population Institute. It's a global media award. Um, Some of our Go Green Radio listeners who've been with us for a long time will remember that uh, a while back, it might have been as much as a year and a half ago, we had Virginia Carter, uh, who's one of the advisors to the Population Institute on. We actually had so much fun with her that we had her on for two shows. For Just so everybody can remember Virginia Carter, she actually worked with Norman Lear back in the heyday of the 80s sitcom era. She um, did a lot of work on All in the Family, uh, uh, the Facts of Life, which was you know one of my favorite shows growing up, uh, she basically helped Norman Lear take great sitcoms, great TV shows that were hugely popular with American audiences, and infuse social ideas and social concepts and social change into the storylines. And she did it so well, so seamlessly, that people didn't even realize that they were um, being introduced to new social issues. She's been working with the Population Institute to bring that kind of content to radio shows um, in other countries and other continents where that's their primary form of media. And they've kind of developed these soap operas that are you know, they have a huge following in some of the African countries and, and elsewhere. And they're bringing in some issues having to do with family planning, population, but doing it in a gentle way. Uh, that, that makes it really fun and, and really uh, hip, if you will, to, to engage in dialogue about these issues. And so, Lisa, what I'd love for you to do is to talk about how you have interfaced with the Population Institute and what this award that you received was all about. Sure. Um, well, they, they have an annual award ceremony where they hand out awards for a few different things, and their goal is to raise awareness of population issues and of the importance of making sure that women around the world have, um, you know, reproductive freedom and reproductive health services. And so they give awards to journalists who are kind of helping to spread the word and spread the message. And um, I had some really impressive um, colleagues who also won these awards from the Population Institute last year. Mine was for online commentary, but they also gave an award for the best book and radio program and TV program and a lot of other things. A lot of impressive work being done in that realm. Um, But they singled me out for the work that I've been doing at grist.org, writing about being child-free and just tying that to some of the broader issues of, of... Population, so I was really honored to be um, singled out by them. That's terrific. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Now, let's dig into this big number, 7 billion. Um, as we approach 7 billion people on planet Earth later this year, that's the expectation. Personally, what are your biggest concerns about reaching that milestone as a human race? Well, the, you know, the challenge is that population, you know, the numbers of people on the planet drive and exacerbate all of our other environmental problems. So whether that's 
climate change is a big one, but also, you know, um, the availability of fresh water and um, growing enough food for everyone and, you know, the amount of pollution that we're pumping into the air and into our oceans and, you know, overfishing of our oceans. The You know, the, the human population numbers drive or are, you know, an important factor in pretty much every other environmental issue. Um, so that's, you know, that's one reason why I think we really need to, to be paying attention to that, to that big number. Sure. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that your articles are primarily based, um, you know, to North American audiences. And do you feel like, you know, if we were to dramatically reduce the fertility rates, you know, in, in that target audience, that those problems would be alleviated to a large degree? Um, you know, it's really, it's a very challenging issue. There are so many different aspects to population growth. Um, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the challenges that, that developed countries, you know, especially right now, like Japan and a couple countries in um, Europe are facing is that their populations are growing old quite um, quickly. I mean, on one hand, that's a good thing because people are living longer. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. 50, 100 years ago, people died much earlier. And so now we have an aging populace. That's sort of an, one aspect of a, of, a, of a good thing. I think we're all glad that people are leading longer lives. But, it, you know, it sort of presents some challenges. And, you know, one way that countries might think about dealing with that is by allowing more immigration, but that's obviously quite a touchy issue too. I don't think there's any one fix to this or any one policy that's going to solve it. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't think we should have any sort of a policy that tells people how many kids to have or not to have. I, I, and I think most people who work on this issue would very much oppose anything like China's one-child policy. You know, we think that the right approach is just making, you know, contraception available to women everywhere and making sure that they have enough power to determine their own paths in life. And, mm-hmm. and you kind of just need to leave it, up to, leave it up to people to make their own decisions. Uh, but, you know, one of the reasons that I'm doing this is I also, in addition to just making sure supplies are available to people, I think we also need to open up the social space to make it okay to decide to have no children or to decide to have smaller families. You know, right now there's still a lot of um, stigma about one-child families. And, you know, someone feel like there's just as much or more pressure on them to have a second kid as there was to have a first kid because there's this uh, stereotype that only kids are weird or socially awkward or spoiled. So we need to get over some of those social ideas too. Sure, sure. I totally agree. I mean, um, these are things that, that really should be left up to individual, you know, choices and, uh, making intelligent decisions about those types of, of life issues should definitely be encouraged. You know, in one of your articles, you reference, uh, a magazine that I am just the biggest fan of, and that's National Geographic. Every year I say, okay, this is going to be the year when I get everything online. I'm not going to buy, you know, subscriptions, you know, or save trees. And then I'm standing in the grocery store line and I'm seduced every month by <laughs> National Geographic. So gorgeous. <laughs> they do such a great job. I know. And so I'm probably paying 75% more, you know, than I would if I would just subscribe, but I get it every month. And in January, their issue dealt with 
you know, the 7 billion number. And it was a great article. Robert Kunzig is one of my favorite um, journalists out there. He's, he's really terrific. And so you referenced that in one of your articles. And what I'd like to do is have you react and have your perspective brought to bear on some of the issues that he raises uh, in that article. This is one of the things he says. Um, After World War II, the developing countries got a sudden transfusion of preventative care. Penicillin, the smallpox vaccine, DDT, which later proved controversial, saved millions from dying of malaria. They all arrived at once. Millions of people in developing countries who would have died in childhood survived to have children themselves. And that's why the population explosion spread around the planet, because a great many people were saved from dying. And so I want you to react to that. I mean, is it possible that our population situation really has less to do with the number of births going on and more to do with longer life expectancy? I mean, to your point that you raised earlier, it's a good thing. People are growing old. Um, Is it possible that, that birth rates really aren't the issue? Well, they're both the issues. You know, I mean, the, the, your total population growth each year is the number of births minus the number of deaths. So both issues are important. I mean, and I, uh, you know, I think, and I think most people would say it's a great thing if we're preventing disease and helping people to have longer lives and that many of those, um, you know, health advances that we introduce to developing countries, that's only a good thing. I mean, my... I I want everyone who's on the planet to lead a good, full, and healthy life. I don't think having people die off early, whether it's because of war or disease or, or anything else, is ever going to be a good thing. I don't think that's how we want to keep our population stable. Um, I think the humane thing to do is to make sure that <clears throat> everyone has the healthcare and and the opportunity to have a long full life and you know also has the opportunity to control their own fertility sure sure i mean and i think you know that's something that that a lot of people can definitely agree on one of the things that i was struck by in this article are some of the charts that they show um and national geographic is is always great for maps and charts i mean you can count on them for beautiful pictures maps and charts and one of the charts shows that there's sort of a natural progression in any society and at at one point you know infant mortality rates are so high that the reason that a lot of couples will have a lot of children is because they know that a good percentage of those children won't make it through to adulthood. So in order to have a family at all, they have to have a lot of children. Then, as society progresses, uh, you know, healthcare gets better, uh, vaccines get better, living conditions get better, and what we've seen in the 20th century is that when death rates, infant mortality rates, and life expectancy rates uh, begin to drop off, it takes about a generation for couples to say, okay, now we don't need to have as many children in order to have that family size that we had hoped for. But during that lag time, that generation, that's where the population explosion happens. Some demographers are saying that that's already passed, except for in a small part of the world, we, we really don't need to worry about birth rates anymore because... You know, the, the explosion, the, the baby boom and, and, and all of that has kind of passed us by. And by the year 2030, we're going to see, you know, the population begin to ebb lower. What do you say in reaction to that? Well, I mean, that's definitely one of the factors, you know, that makes all this issue so complex. It's, you know, according to demographers, we're not going to keep 
you know, keep on doubling the population. We will probably even out, you know, we'll hit 7 billion this year, and probably by 2050, the population is expected to kind of plateau at around maybe 9 billion, maybe, you know, maybe higher than that, maybe a little lower than that, but not dramatically different than that. So I don't think we're going to make a massive change to that curve, you know, that, as you say, you know, those, we're talking about people who are already born, who are growing up, you know, there's only so much you can do to change that at this point. Right. But the difference between maybe 8.5 billion in 2050 or 9.5 billion in 2050, um, which, you know, if we do things right, if we make sure that women have access to reproductive health care and other things, we could maybe get that number lower. If we do things wrong, maybe that number will be higher. The difference of another billion people, that's a big deal. And especially when we have climate change, which is such a massive issue right now, um, I don't think we can ignore numbers like this and expect you know, we're already, even with the population we have on the planet right now, facing a massive challenge of how are we going to deal with climate change? How are we going to get our greenhouse gas emissions down? And at the same time, how are we going to make sure that people in developing countries can improve their quality of life? Because it's not, you know, I don't think it's fair for us to be, you know, using so much energy here, but tell people in poor countries, no, sorry, you don't get to have electricity in your house. You know, so we have... (laughs) We have a big challenge. I I just don't think we can ignore the underlying numbers of people. Agreed. And we're going to talk about this more after the commercial break. We've got to take a quick, quick break, folks. But we're going to hit the issue of climate change and population. What is the connection or is there a disconnection? We're going to dig deep into that in the next segment. So don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. 
Go Inside the World of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could join us. And for those of you who want to get engaged, you can call us. You can send me a tweet. I'm at Jill Buck. You can always do that. Or, as our announcer said, you can always email us as well, gogreenradio at gmail.com. Love to hear from you all. Today we're joined by Lisa Hymas. Again, she is senior editor co-founder of grist.org they are covering the beat and it from soup to nuts everything that's going on in the world uh, having to do with the environment and every conceivable aspect of it they are covering on grist.org so i encourage you to take a look at her work and her colleagues as well we're talking specifically about population we're talking about this looming number of seven billion inhabitants of the planet and you know when you think about seven billion people it can be a little bit scary. I mean, I, many of you know, as I talk about this all the time on Go Green Radio, I've spent a good deal of time in China. When you go to a city like Beijing or Shanghai or Chengdu, where there are almost as many residents in those cities as there are residents in the state of California, um, it feels crowded. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hustling and it's bustling. And you wonder, how much landmass do we need in order to house 7 billion people or perhaps 9 billion people by the time we get to the year 2050. Well, we were talking in the last segment, Lisa referenced this article in National Geographic, uh, the January edition of the magazine. Uh, there was an article written by Robert Kunzig who talks about the 7 billion person issue. And this is what he says. Um, he went to the Population Association of America meeting last spring at the Dallas Hyatt Regency. And he said, I learned that the current population of the planet could fit into the state of Texas if Texas were settled as densely as New York City. If in 2045 there are 9 billion people living on the six habitable continents, the world population density will be a little more than half of that of France today. France is not usually considered a hellish place. Will the world be hellish then? So though 7 or 9 billion people sounds kind of huge, um, the fact is we have enough space for everybody, so it's really not a real estate issue. It's not like we're all going to be super crowded, but it seems to me that it's more of a um, it's a delivery of resources uh, issue. And do you agree with that, Lisa? I mean, how do you feel about that? 
Right. I mean, land isn't the issue. <clears throat> you know, we could move everybody to Texas and, you know, get a, give everybody a little bit of land, but most of the people are going to die because there's not enough water. I mean, so fresh water is really one of the main limiting factors in terms of population growth. Um, we've got a lot of land out there. We don't have a lot of water, and there already, you know, are many spots around the world that are struggling. They're already depleting their aquifers. As we see climate change advancing, you know, we're seeing more drought. We expect to see still more drought. So I would say that's what you need to be worrying about, not the space. I agree. And, and now, water, of she, course, is needed to grow food. So those are closely linked as well. Well, and interestingly enough, it takes clean water to create electricity as well. Yeah. And in fact, a huge percentage of the clean water in the U.S. is used in power plants, and a lot of folks don't realize that. Um, and subsequently, it takes a lot of electricity to pump clean water to our taps. So there's this intimate relationship, particularly in developed countries, between electricity and clean water. It's a very yeah. symbiotic situation. Now, if we say, all right, the world's problem is not that we don't have enough space, we've got enough space, but really it's a resource delivery and planning issue, then I say, okay, true. That's going to take money, innovation, research and solid economies and a healthy dose of generosity <laughs> in order to solve the world's problems. Those are all attributes that the U.S. is currently able to share with the rest of the world. However, Lisa, and this is where I really want your perspective on this, I feel like if our population falls below the rate at which we can take care of our own aging population, then we might not be able to have all that goodwill, all that money, um, all that uh, you know, innovation to export. So do you think that it's a good idea to encourage Americans to lower our fertility rates any further than we already have? Well, I'm, I'm not worried about the U.S. population plunging downward. I mean, right now it's growing at about 1%. That would still have it double in 70 years. I mean, 1% sounds small, but when you compound that, it's not small. I mean, the U.S. is a really, you know, it's a dynamic place. There are still many, you know, no matter what I say, many people are going to decide to become parents. And good, because I don't, you know, I don't want us to go extinct. I have no interest in that. Um, and, you know, and the U.S. has has always had a healthy amount of immigration, of new people coming here and bringing their ideas and their families and, um, you know, helping to keep the United States a, a vibrant place. So I really just don't see any threat of the U.S. population taking a massive decline. Um, you know, I, if the numbers go down some, that might not be a bad thing. I, you know, maybe that would give us all a little more breathing room. That would be, you know, a, a few, fewer of us spewing so many greenhouse gases, um, ease up on some of the crowding and other challenges we have. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I just think there's so much hope and so much opportunity uh, with some of the clean tech and some of the um, investments that we have here in the U.S. into technologies that the whole world is looking to us. You know, they're saying, what are they going to come up with next? And, uh, you know, will they be able to to shift their economy to a carbon neutral economy? And there's so much hope that if we can lead the way, if we can show folks how that's done, that the rest of the world will benefit. And perhaps... 
even leapfrog some technology. You know, a lot of people are concerned that burgeoning economies will necessarily kind of feed at the same carbon trough that the U.S. has and that when those populations, say in China and India, begin to consume as much as the U.S. does, that, oh boy, we are really in for it. But as we're seeing in other technologies, for instance, in Africa, Nobody there is going to have a landline phone. I mean, they've leapfrogged right over all the infrastructure they'd have to um, build in order to have landlines and gone right to cell phones. So we know that with other technologies, you know, societies are able to, to leap right over some of the inefficient ways that we have grown and that we have, you know, built our economy, and they've moved right to the next phase. And I'm hoping that the U.S. can maintain all the ingredients necessary. Part of that is some population as well for the kind of economy that supports that kind of innovation and that kind of uh, growth and that kind of uh, hope <laughs> for the future. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I agree with you, Lisa, that, you know, parenthood, I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't procreate just to keep the economy going. So I completely agree with you. That would be the absolute worst reason for somebody to have a child. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that you have time to leave our listeners with some parting thoughts. We've got, you know, a minute or so before the show's over. What are those final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. This has been really fun. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm glad that you are on your show make a point of talking about this issue about population, not just with me, but with other guests that you've mentioned. And I would just encourage all the listeners out there to start talking about this stuff. It can sort of be an awkward conversation sometimes. Um, you know, population is controversial for a lot of different reasons, and, you know, family choices are really personal. But I just think if we start as a society, as individuals, and then a society just being more open and talking about this, it'll, I think that's just a good thing. I think it'll make it more possible for people like me to say when we don't have, want to have kids. I think it'll make it more acceptable for someone who just wants to have one to say that. I, you know, I want to keep it, of course, positive if, you know, for parents to make their own choices Mm -hmm. as well. But I think we need to be talking about our individual choices and talking about how we can do a better job of providing reproductive health services to everybody else in the world who doesn't have it. I agree. And of course, that will take a strong economy on our part to be able to provide the dollars it takes um, to provide that. And so I agree with you there, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for Go Green Radio. We will be back same time, same place next week, folks, with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.